The Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1 to 8. This is what the Lord says. Maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its wall a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. The next Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 35. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an utopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandik, which means queen of the utopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its surer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Well, please keep your Bibles open to that passage if you've brought your Bibles. If you do have your own Bible, it's actually always a great reason to bring it along because when we're looking at Isaiah, we're never just looking at one passage, we're looking across a bunch of them, so it's good to be able to see that even though things come up on the screen. If you've got a leaflet though in front of you, you should have everything you need there. Why don't we pray as we come to look at this part of God's Word? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are sorry when we haven't been the people we've meant to be, when we haven't been fair to people, when we haven't been open to people, 
Father, we're sorry for that. And yet, Father, we thank you that you are a God who gives us a second chance, who gives us your spirit so that we can be the just and open people you want us to be. Father, we pray today, by your spirit, make us more into being those people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask the AV guys to put the first slide up on the screen and I want you to do a quiz. Hands up here, who knows who this man is? Oh wow, 9am was so much better guys, so much better. This is the late, great John Wayne, the Duke, the star of many a mid-20th century Western and one of our favourite movie stars in the Smith household when I was growing up. My dad, Henry, he's obsessed with this guy and so when I was growing up, I watched heaps of his movies. In fact, as a family, we were so obsessed with John Wayne films that this very photograph we had blown up onto a massive poster and it was put where it still sits on the back door of our family toilet. Every time I went to the toilet for my entire childhood, I had this guy looking at me like that. It was very unsettling. We love John Wayne in our house, and we've got a lot of him. But he's such a tough guy, right? He was such a good character. And like so many tough guys in the movies, he was great with one-liners. One of his one-liners that's relevant today, and I won't try and do his voice, is this. He said, a man deserves a second chance, but keep an eye on him. Do you get that? A man deserves a second chance, sure, but keep an eye on him. I love that. Because we all know how important it is, don't we, to get a second chance. We all make mistakes and we all need second chances to fix them. But we also know that we can squander second chances. And so we need follow-up. A man deserves a second chance, but keep an eye on him. Well, that's exactly the situation that Israel faces in today's section of Isaiah and in the rest of the book. Isaiah 56 to 66 is the last part of Isaiah's vision. In Isaiah 1 to 39, Isaiah is speaking to the Israelites of his own lifetime, between about 740 and 700 BC. Then the great threat was the Assyrian Empire, and who Israel would trust to save them from them? Would they, would they trust themselves and their political allies? Or would they trust God? Now, as it happens, they did end up trusting God at the last minute, and He did save them. But that salvation wouldn't last for long. Israel kept sinning, and so in punishment, God sent another power, Babylon, to invade Judah. And in 586, they carried them off into exile. It's to those exiles that Isaiah has been writing in the second part of his book, 40 to 55, 150 years in advance of Isaiah's own lifetime. And in that section that he promises that God will one day bring them home, bring them home soon, give them a job to do, and send a servant who will save them from their sins and help them to be the people they were always meant to be. But now, in the last section of Isaiah 56 to 66, it seems like we face another shift again. 
There's no opening line telling us that the people he's talking to now are those who've now returned from exile and are living back in the land. But as we read these chapters, that seems to be the setting. So look, for example, at 56 verse 8. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Do you see what he's saying? It seems like he's writing to a group of people who've already been gathered home to their homeland and he's still going to grab some more. He's writing to the Israelites who've returned from exile and are living back in the land. And his message to them is, now you're back in the land and I've given you a second chance, don't waste it. Will you live like you were always meant to but didn't? Or will you waste your second chance and go back to your old ways of life? God's given them a second chance, but He's going to keep an eye on them. What will He see? Leads us to our first point, a second chance for God's people, if you're following along in your leaflets. The first verses of this last part of Isaiah are a charter of behaviour for the second-class nation, how they're meant to live. And how they're meant to live is this, according to Isaiah. Now they're back in the land, Israel is to be marked by two things. They're to be marked by a commitment to justice and they're to be marked by a commitment to openness. First of all, they're to be marked by a commitment to justice. Look there at 56 verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says, "'Maintain justice and do what is right.'" For my salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Now in the past, Israel had been marked by a distinct lack of justice. Speaking of Jerusalem, the nation's capital, Isaiah had been able to say this, 1 verse 21. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice, righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderers. That's true. Israel had been full of corruption and the oppression of the poor and violence. But now that they're back in the land, they've been given their second chance, they're to be devoted to justice. Justice is to be part of their DNA. What's the first thing they're meant to do when they're back in the land? They're to be devoted to justice. But what's the second thing they're to be devoted to? openness. Look at verse 3. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Israel's not not just meant to be marked by justice, but openness, especially to those people who are otherwise normally outcast by society, as represented here by foreigners and eunuchs. That it be open to those who are socially outcast. Look at verses 4 and 5. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Eunuchs were often foreign officials who had been ceremonially castrated. And so obviously they couldn't have children. 
And because of that condition, which was often part of pagan rituals, they also weren't allowed to take part in Israel's worship in the temple. That meant they were cut off from the two cores of Israelite society, faith and family. But now God tells Israel to be open to those eunuchs who've put their faith in God. And then to be open to them because God has been open to them. Where they have no name, that is children, God says here that He'll give them an everlasting name that's better than children. And you'll notice that He says He'll give it to them inside the temple, which they once weren't allowed into. And so, just as God will be open to them, so Israel is to open themselves to the socially outcast. They're to be open to the social outcast. But they're also to be open to the ethnically outcast. Look at there in verses 6 and 7. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations." You see, the nations historically have been Israel's enemies. And so foreigners were generally unwelcome within Israel's borders. But now God tells Israel to be open to them because He is open to them. To any foreigner who wants to worship Him, He will bring them right into His presence in the temple. And this second rule that Israel is to be open to foreigners is especially important since God has said He will bring foreigners into Jerusalem in massive numbers in the future. Remember all the way back at the beginning of Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 2, what does He say? In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Israel's to be open to the ethnically outcast. Israel has been given a second chance to be a just and an open people. How will they go? Well, as it turns out, terribly. They will waste their second chance as soon as they return to the land, opposing justice and crushing the vulnerable. Their leaders do it. Listen to Isaiah 56. Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. They are shepherds who lack understanding. They all turn to their own way. They seek their own gain. And their employers do it. Listen to Isaiah 58. On the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? They've been given a chance to be the people they were meant to be, but they waste it and fall right back into their old ways of life, unjust and unopen. And that makes God furious. 
Listen to 59 verse 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. God has gone to incredible lengths to give Israel a second chance. He's brought them home and he's forgiven their sins through the suffering of his servant. They've wasted it. 23 years ago, Benjamin Bianca Fiore, a gang member from Chicago, was given a stunning and well-publicized second chance. At the age of 17, he robbed and beat up 16-year-old David Kinkley, who was so traumatized by the attack that he later committed suicide. Bianca Fiore was facing a big sentence as a result. But despite the horrific circumstances, David Kinkley's parents asked the court for leniency. They were devastated by their son's death. But they were also concerned for his attacker's future. And so they asked for a light sentence. And as a result, Bianca Fiore only got six months. Now, at this, thing, at this point, we all think we know how this story is going to end, right? Bianca Fiore will serve his time and once he gets out, he'll repay his victim's parents' generosity to him by turning his life around. But that's not what happened. He got out of jail and immediately began offending again. After he was released, he committed a series of awful offences and is right now in jail for sex trafficking. He was given a second chance at great cost and he threw it back in everyone's faces. Doesn't that story just make your blood boil for the victim's parents? Well, then it should make it boil for God here. He has given Israel a second chance to be just and open and they've thrown it back in his face. But the reason they've wasted their second chance is because their hearts are still untransformed. They may have come home again, but their hearts are still exactly the same as they were in exile, rebellious. The reason they haven't changed is because they can't change. And the tragedy is, they know it. In chapter 59, verse 9, it stops talking about Israel. And for the first time in a long time, we actually hear Israel speak themselves. As they lament the fact they know they're sinners, but can't stop. Listen to 59, verse 9. It's coming up on the screen. So justice is far from us, and righteousness does not reach us. We look for light, but all is darkness, for brightness, but we walk in deep shadows. Like the blind, we grope along the wall, feeling our way like people without eyes. At midday, we stumble as if it were twilight. Among the strong, we are like the dead. Israel's wasted their second chance, but they say there's nothing they can do to stop wasting it. But that doesn't mean that it's over for Israel. It would be if character transformation was up to them. 
Clearly, God can't just keep giving them more chances. They're incapable of using them properly. They don't just need more second chances. They need a different sort of second chance. A second chance transformed. And that's exactly what God says he's going to give them. God looks at Israel, helpless to change themselves, and says that he will change them into the people they're meant to be. 59 verse 15. The Lord looked and was displeased that there was no justice. He saw that there was no one. He was appalled that there was no one to intervene. So his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. God says that he will do this by punishing those Israelites who've oppressed the weak and who are unrepentant. 59, 17 to 19. But for those Israelites who know they've done the wrong thing, but are sorry for it and want to change it, God says, well, they can't save themselves, he will save them. 59 verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declared the Lord. And he can do it because of what we saw two weeks ago in the work of the suffering servant. He sent his servant to die for their sins in their place so that if they repent, they can be forgiven. He's going to save them. But he won't just save them, he'll transform them, he'll change them, he'll give them his spirit. 59 verse 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, those I've forgiven, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. My words that I've put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. For those of rights who have sinned but are sorry and want to change, God will save them and give them His Spirit so they can change. He will be open to them so they can be just and open to others. And when that happens, it's beautiful. Fast forward 600 years to about AD 40 when another Israelite, a man named Philip, is walking south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, this is an Israelite who has been transformed. He's had his sins forgiven by a man on a cross and he's been given the spirit that God's promised at Pentecost. He's the kind of Israelite that God has said he will remake in Isaiah 59. One who knows that God has been open to him in Jesus and so he can be just and open to others. And this Israelite Philip meets someone, doesn't he? Look there at verse 27. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. Now let that sink in. It's an Ethiopian eunuch. Who has God told the Israelites that they're to be open to? Foreigners and eunuchs. And who's this guy that Philip meets? A guy who's both a foreigner and a eunuch. He's hit the jackpot. I mean, if an Israelite is going to live up to the charter of behavior that God has given his returned people, he's never going to have a better chance than to do it now, is he? So what does Philip do? Well, he goes up and finds him reading. And what's he reading? He's reading Isaiah, verse 30 to 31. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. What's the passage he's reading? Well, it's the one about the suffering servant. Look there at verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so he wants to know, who is this servant? Verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? What does Philip do? Does he keep this man in the dark about the servant? Has Israel's been doing to eunuchs and foreigners ever since they've been back in the land, shutting out those people they've meant to be letting in? No. Verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He tells him the gospel. He includes the foreigner and the eunuch in salvation as he's meant to. And he does it because the servant has included the eunuch on the cross and will forgive him because of it, if that's what he wants. Which he does. The eunuch gets baptized and goes home rejoicing. Verses 36 to 40. And he does it because one of God's people did the right thing and told an outcast how they could be accepted by God. You see, God has been open to us in Jesus. And so we are to be just and open to others. God's people have always been at our best when we've been committed to justice and open to people who are socially and ethnically different to us. And when that's been done well, that has been a powerful apologetic for the gospel. In the year AD 112, so we're going back a little way, a guy called Pliny, who was the governor of Bithynia, what's now modern Turkey, wrote in dismay to his Roman emperor Trajan about the spread of the gospel in his area. And what was the thing that worried him? Well, it was attractive to everyone. All the hoi polloi were coming in. Who was in the church? Pliny complained. Well, many in every period of life, on every level of society, of both sexes, in towns and villages, and scattered throughout the countryside. Old, young, rich, poor, male, female, urban, rural, Jesus appealed to everyone. It was disgusting. How vulgar. And Jesus' people accepted everyone. All they had to be was repentant for sin and trust that Jesus had saved them and they'd be accepted. Now, of course, the church has not always done a good job of this. But when the church has been committed to justice and being open to outcasts, that's a powerful witness to the truth of the gospel, isn't it? Now, of course, the church hasn't always been good at this. And as Christians... The constant temptation is for us not to be good at it either. The temptation is for me to put myself first and not to treat people justly. Or to look at injustice and think that it's someone else's problem, even God's. So two men are having a conversation. Sometimes I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty, suffering and injustice when he could do something about it, says one man. Well, why don't you ask him? Because I'm afraid he'd ask me the same question. 
We're tempted to put justice in the too hard basket, aren't we? Or we're tempted to avoid people who are different to us, ethnically, socially. We avoid talking with people who look like they might not speak our language well and who that conversation might be pretty hard work with. Or we avoid talking to people who it's obvious are not from the same social strata as us. Because that's hard work, isn't it? Relating to people who are different to us is hard. And so our temptation is to avoid it. But friends, the gospel won't let us, it won't let you. We're all sinners, whether we went to uni or not. And we can all have forgiveness if we ask for it, no matter what our background. And so we're to model that. We're to be open to everyone who Jesus is open to, which is anyone who wants him. Because when that sort of gospel inclusion is done, it is beautiful. It reaches across ethnic and racial divides. Michael is an Aboriginal man in Tennant Creek and he's part of the Australian Indigenous Ministries Church there on Stanley Street. He says that in Aboriginal culture, the concept of skin is very important. Listen to him in his own words. Skin is the system that tells us who we can marry and who we can't marry. In some groups though, if someone's from the wrong skin, you can't look that person in the eye or you can't say that name out loud. Or share any room or space with them. It can cause trouble at times. If someone walks into a building from the wrong skin, someone else may walk out. But in our church in Tennant Creek, there are no skin customs like that. We do follow good traditional ways, like we respect our elders, but we don't avoid people. That's what Christ has done for us. He's made us one family. So there's none of that here. You see, Michael gets Isaiah, doesn't he? He gets Jesus. The gospel reaches across ethnic divides and the gospel reaches across social divides. Catherine Hamlin was a Christian gynecologist who worked in Ethiopia for over 60 years. Her specialty was repairing fistulas in women after birth a tear in the birth canal that can result in, among other things, uncontrollable incontinence for life. The result for many of these women was total social ostracization. They were shut away in huts so that no one could smell or see them. But because of Jesus, this well-off doctor from Sydney and her husband, Reg, went to Africa And they devoted their lives to serving the poorest of the poor and the most outcast and sharing the love of Jesus with them. And why? Because they knew they'd been accepted themselves. The gospel reaches across social divides. So what can we do? Well, you may not go to Ethiopia. Or you may not even go to Tennant Creek. But after church, in a few minutes, you can talk to someone in the yard who doesn't look like you, can't you? You could sign up to help with our English as a second language classes. We'd love to get them back up and running. You could join our Trinity Neighbours ministry that serves the disadvantaged of our city. 
Just fill it in on the serving survey. Write it in the communication slip and hand it in. When you next go shopping, you can just grab an extra couple of non-perishables and bring them to church to add them to the box which gets distributed to the poor in our city like we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks. We can do loads of things. Why? Because God has been open to us. God has been open to you. So we've got to be just and open to others. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we are sorry when we have frankly squandered the second chances that you have given us, when we haven't been just, and we haven't been open to people who look different to us, speak differently to us, eat different food. And Father, we're sorry because that's so far from your heart. Your heart is to accept anyone who wants to find you. And yet, Father, we thank you that you've forgiven us, you've given us your spirit and you've changed us so we can be the just and open-handed people you want us to be. Father, we pray that we would be so that people might look at our community and gossip about us, talk about how that Trinity Church Adelaide, they are just so welcoming, no matter who you are, anyone who wants to find Jesus can find him and be welcomed by his people here. Father, we thank you for so much of how much that is already going on. Father, we pray that it might go on all the more for your glory, for our joy, for the salvation and the inclusion of many. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.